In Christ alone. Last week, Pastor Jesse got us off to a good start. Colossians is a letter. It's written by Paul and Timothy to the Christians who met in this little this house church in Colossae, about 62 AD. And last uh, week, Pastor Jesse looked at the first part of chapter 1 of prayer, in which Paul is so thankful to God that these people heard the good news of Jesus, and they believed it, and it's starting to bear fruit in their lives. It's changing them. And... Uh, and then Gabe, our worship intern, one of our worship interns, talked us through the gospel acrostic, how we talk about the good news of Jesus. And if you just glance at it up on the screen while I'm talking here, uh, Paul was so thankful. These people heard this news, they believed it, it's changing them. And you'll notice the acrostic starts with really good news, and then it gives us the reality check of some bad news, and that ends with good news that happens through Jesus. Or in other words, in the words of our series, all the good stuff happens in Christ alone. We cannot remove our sin and rebellion against God on our own. We can't bank up enough good deeds to pay for our sin. Only Jesus, through his death and resurrection, can restore our relationship with God our Father. Only trusting in Jesus makes this happen. It all happens in Christ alone. Let's recap from last week, and I invite you to pray with me as we get ready for this week's message. Lord Jesus, we need your Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. I make things very clear, very simple, so we can believe and trust. And all God's people say, amen. So, who is Jesus? Big question. Believers in church in Colossae needed a clear, true answer because, as today, there were just kind of many ideas about Jesus floating around. He was a good rabbi, but now he's dead. Or he's a son of God, but not really God. He's kind of less than God. Or he's just one of many spiritual beings that people can use to get to, to God. So guided by the Holy Spirit, Paul writes this clear, accurate, true answer to the question, who is Jesus? In Colossians 1, beginning verse 15, we'll explore that. But first, another question to help us get at the truth, the best question. This is the question, who is Arthur Millette? If you know who Arthur Millette is, just raise your hand. Okay, you can put your hands on. So if you don't know who Arthur Millette is, you go, whatever, means nothing to you, right? Well, he probably should mean something to you. If you grew up in South Dakota, Arthur Millette was the first governor of our state from 1889 to 1893. He actually moved to the Dakota Territory seeking a better climate for his wife's health. Landed in Watertown, became a very prosperous, rich attorney, uh, a lot of money, and, and he was an early leader in helping the Dakota Territory move towards statehood. And he was our first governor. But his life was not easy. When he left the governor's office in 1893, it was discovered that the state treasurer had stolen most of the money from the South Dakota State Treasury, taken it in hand, and fled to Mexico, leaving the state broke. So Millette even though he was not at fault and was not governor anymore, gave the state his entire fortune, all of his property, to try and replace some of the stolen money. And then without anything, he moved back to Kansas to open a law practice. He died three years later. So he paid a debt that wasn't his, and the stress cost him his life. So now you know who he is. And now you know that you've actually benefited from his work and from his generosity. So back to the question, who is Jesus? Well, 
If you know who Jesus is, you know what he's done in the past that benefits us today. And unlike Arthur Millette, who is dead and buried, how the risen, ascended, returning Christ benefits us through the work of his Holy Spirit, then we don't just move on with our life. We stop and we connect our life to Jesus, who alone gives us real life now and life after this life. Because how we answer this question, who is Jesus, determines the course of our earthly life and it determines the course of our life after this life is over. That's why the scriptures, the Bible is so important. Someone has to tell you who Jesus is, right? That's how you actually you gain all information. Someone has to tell you. So you can go online and find articles about what people say about Jesus, or you can find an acquaintance who's into religious studies and they can give you some ideas. Or you can come up with your own opinions. But how do you get a clear, accurate, true understanding of Jesus? Only the scriptures, the Bible, affirmed by the church since its beginning as the word of God, reveals us Jesus in a clear, accurate, true, and life-changing way. So, it's this simple. If the Bible's not a part of your life right now, you are at a significant spiritual disadvantage. You are. So, but you can correct that, of course. Get the YouVersion Bible app, stick it on your phone, all kinds of Bible reading plans, pick one, and you can either read off your phone or you can push a button and listen to the Bible read to you. Important. Or just pick up a free New Testament like the one up on the screen in the atrium and uh, start reading the book of Colossians, which we're talking about for the rest of the summer. Take advantage of the Bible's clear, accurate, truthful message about Jesus. Now we're going to get to uh, the passage in Colossians 1, verse 15, and the first kind of explanation that the Holy Spirit guides Paul to give, there's four of them, is this. Jesus Christ is God made visible. And Paul writes this in one real clear, simple sentence. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Or you can flip the sentence around. The invisible God has become visible in Jesus Christ. So what we can't see and can't know about God, we can now see and now know in Jesus. Scripture is clear that God is spirit. So for God to reveal himself to humankind, God has to become visible. And he does it in Jesus. So just think about the wind. In South Dakota, we know a lot about the wind, don't we? We experience it almost every single day. Some days there's a little wind. A lot of days there's just strong wind. Sometimes it never quits. We know wind is real. You open the door, go outside, you can feel it blowing on your skin. In the winter, we see those windblown snowdrifts pile up. In the summer, we look outside in the fields and see the corn and wheat the way, waving in the wind, blown. I can't see the wind. Wind's real, can't see it. It's invisible. It's there. God is real. He's spirit. We know something of God through creation itself. And there are times in our lives we may have sensed God's presence, but we can't see God. So how is God, who is spirit and invisible, going to meet humankind? Well, he has to show up in person. So that's what he did through his son, Jesus Christ. Full God in human form. God made visible. God you can listen, see, listen to, engage with. A visible God you can connect with. So the hidden God, the invisible God, reveals himself in Jesus. And theologians call this the incarnation. And to incarnate just means you take on human form, take on flesh. So we're human. We're visible. We have a body. 
So to reveal his character to us in human form, he shows up in Jesus, fully God, fully human. We don't have to kind of climb our way up to God and figure God out. God climbs down to us, comes to us in Jesus in person. So he becomes visible. All that God is, all that God cares about, all that God asks of us, it's all in Jesus. Visible. Then Paul goes on to explain that Jesus Christ is God, which is an amazing statement. He doesn't say Jesus is like God, and he doesn't say Jesus is a God, small g, because there are all kinds of gods and goddesses that were worshipped in the Roman Empire in New Testament times. And Paul didn't say, oh, Jesus is a spiritual being created by God. And Paul didn't say, Jesus, well, he's just a really spiritual person who learned a lot about God. No, Paul's clear. Jesus is God. And he uses creation to help us understand this. So we think, well, God's the creator. So we may think, well, God must have created Jesus, one of God's creations. But Paul makes it very clear that Jesus existed before creation. Here's Paul. He, Jesus, existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. There has not been a time when Jesus Christ was not. He existed before creation, which we actually can't wrap our minds around. <laughs> before creation, what, what was there? Well, there was God, the one true God who reveals himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus is not created by God. He is God, the Son, before creation. And Paul speaks of Jesus as being supreme over all creation. And then Paul says, God created everything through Jesus. That's Paul's way of saying Jesus is God. I mean, God was before creation. God supreme over creation. God created everything. And Paul says, that's true of Jesus, too, because he is God. And Paul drives his point home. He made things we can see and things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him, through Jesus, and for him. Everything was created through him and for him. We're not the purpose of creation. We're not the reason the world exists. Jesus is. He's at the center of everything. The creator in Christ alone. Then Paul talks about something I want to explain a little bit, about things we can see and things we can't see. The can't see part is this unseen spiritual world. Uh, the unseen spiritual world is real. Uh, it, it contains angels who carry out God's commands, who have stayed true to the purpose of their creation, to serve their creator. It also... Uh, contains demons and wicked spirits who rebelled against their creation purpose and not only refused to serve their creator, but are working against God, their creator. This is a very real world that the New Testament culture understood and acknowledged. Here's the interesting part. This real unseen world, our culture, and all so-called enlightened Western cultures say it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. In Western cultures, and this is what we've grown up in, there is no enemy other than ignorance and lack of resources. So if you just educate people enough and you have enough resources to throw out problems, all the problems in the world will disappear. Really? Why is it then 
that after thousands of years of educating people and utilizing resources to solve problems, the modern world has the same problems as the ancient world. We still have slavery. We just call it trafficking. War, oppression, racism, tribalism, poverty, violence against women, famine. We say, everything has changed. We live in a modern world. Nothing has changed. Why? There's an unseen world in which some of the spirits who have rebelled against their creator are working against God's purposes. Now, thankfully, at the end, when Jesus returns, they will all be forced to acknowledge he is Lord. But in the meantime, there's a bit of a struggle going on. It's why. It's smart to be wise about that. And not to be afraid of it, Jesus is Lord. No fear, but wisdom's called for. And then Paul states how crucial Jesus as God is to creation. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. It's very common, talking with someone who's lost a loved one, for one of the family members to say, they were the glue that held the family together. I don't know what will happen now. They were the glue. That glue person, whether it was a mom and a grandmother or a dad and a grandpa, they knew how to hold things together. They were interested in everybody. They kept in contact with everyone. They got the family together. And now people, I don't know what's going to happen now. They're gone. Paul is clear that Jesus holds all creation together. Jesus is the glue that keeps the world from falling apart. He actually sustains creation. God does not create the world, walk away and say, good luck, figure it out. Jesus holds all creation together. He actually sustains it, even right now. Think about breathing. You have to breathe to stay alive, don't you? Thankfully, you have, Jesus has created you, so your body breathes automatically. Jesus is sustaining you every single breath you take. He made you that way. Or your heart. Your heart has to beat for you to stay alive. It stops, that's it. Thankfully, your heart has been created by Jesus to beat automatically. Jesus, your creator, is sustaining you right now. He does this for all people. He holds all creation together. He sustains life. Then Paul takes a little bit of a switch because he's writing to a church. He says, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Now, in the New Testament times, people understood the head of the body as the part of the body that gives life to the rest of the body. And it's not exactly modern scientific understanding, but not far from the truth, right? In your head, you got your brain, you got your sense of sight, hearing, smell, and, and your head receives nerve signals from the rest of your body and sends signals back so we can move and walk and talk and work and all that kinds of stuff. The head gives life to the body. Well, Jesus, Paul says, is the head of the church. We're his body. He gives life to us. By his Holy Spirit, Jesus enables us to serve him well and enjoy this life that he gives. So a pastor is not the head of a church. A conference bishop is not the head of a church. A denominational structure is not the head of a church. Jesus is the head of the church. He gives us life. And he leads us well. And then Paul returns to emphasizing that Jesus is God. He says he's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all of his fullness 
is pleased to live in Christ. First and fullness. Jesus is first in everything. First in the resurrection. So Jesus leads the way. He goes through death, trust the Father to resurrection. We follow him, he'll lead us right through death to resurrection. He's the first. We follow his lead. And the fullness of God, not a little bit of God, or some of God is in Jesus, but the fullness of God is in Jesus Christ. You can't learn anything about God that you can't find in Jesus, in Christ alone. Then Paul explains that Jesus Christ brings peace, which everybody's looking for. Where do you find it? How do you get a peace that's not going to fall apart? Now remember, in the Bible, peace isn't just a lack of conflict or war. In the Bible, peace means a sense of wholeness, a sense that all the pieces of life get put back together, which means if you and I are going to have peace, there has to be healing, there has to be forgiveness, there has to be restoration, and then finally we can be at rest. And this peace in which we're forgiven and restored to God's family is one of God's loved kids. That peace, the peace that really matters, is found in Christ alone and what he's done through us through his death and resurrection. Paul writes, and through him, God has reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So Paul says, in Jesus, we're reconciled to God. We can be at peace with God through his blood on the cross, his death, his resurrection. Now, sometimes in life, we have a great friendship and something gets in the way and it breaks. And the friendship's gone. That's hard. Uh, and, and then once in a while, something happens where the thing that was in the way gets removed and the friendship gets restored. That's reconciliation. That restoration of that friendship. The challenge is to get the thing in the way removed. Get it out of there. Because without that, reconciliation can't happen. So Paul says, through Jesus' blood on the cross, his death and resurrection, he steps in and he removes that thing that's blocking relationship between us and God. He takes it away up on himself. He pays the price. So our friendship with God can be restored. He gives the sacrifice to pay the price. He buys us back for God. This may have happened to you. Maybe it happened this spring. You walk into your garage and you look around, and you go, this is a dirty, filthy, unorganized mess. Why doesn't someone clean this up? And the next day, you go out in your garage, and it's still there, isn't it? Because it's your garage. Someone's going to have to take the time and energy and clean it up, right? Go in there, throw away what's no longer needed, clean, up, clean things up. Someone's going to have to put the effort in to reconcile your garage from its dirty state to a clean state. So when you walk into your garage, you feel not frustration, but you feel peace. It's clean. Everything's in its place. Our lives are like a dirty, messy garage. And Jesus came to clean it up. Through his blood on the cross, through his death and resurrection, Jesus cleans up our mess. He washes things clean, and he gets our lives organized according to God's design. So now we can be at peace with God. We can be at peace with ourselves. We can even be at peace with others. And all this happens through Christ alone. Now, Jesus asks a question of first of his disciples, but today he asks it's of us. Who do you say that I am? See, it doesn't matter what Paul says. Well, it does matter, but it matters what you say to Jesus, what I say to Jesus. Who do we say Jesus is? Is he a way to God? Is he just a spiritual guy? Is he one of many religious leaders in the world? 
You know what Paul would say? If Jesus asked Paul, who do you say that I am? Paul in this passage would say, Jesus, you're God. You're God made visible. You're head of the church. And you've brought us peace. That's who you are. And that's what happened for the believers in, in Colossians. So Paul writes about their experience. And he's so happy about this. He says, listen, this includes you, who were once far away from God. You were as enemies separated by him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard this good news. In Christ alone. One of the things New Testament scholars are pretty certain about this, uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, is the way it's written and the rhythm and the language was probably a hymn, a song, or a creed. So the people in the Colossian church maybe knew it. When they got together, they would sing it or say it as a way of themselves stating, who is Jesus? This is who he is. So on Communion Sundays, we stand up and we recite the Apostles' Creed, a good summary of all of Christian faith. Uh, today, I'm going to invite you uh, to stand with me, and we're going to read this passage together. Go on and stand up. As our way of saying to Jesus, we know this is who you are. So let's read our statement about Jesus together. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself, he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And we all say, Amen. Please be seated. All this happens in Christ alone. Let's pray together. I invite the worship team to come on up as I pray. Oh, Jesus, thank you that we don't have to guess about you. We don't have to wonder who you really are. That scripture gives us a clear, accurate, true, life-giving truth about you. We accept it. We believe it. And we ask your Holy Spirit uh, bring about good fruit in our lives because we anchor our lives only, Lord Jesus, in you, in Christ alone. And all God's people say, amen.